Hello, and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint, and today we are going to discuss war cries of the Scottish Clans. This is a pretty exciting topic. We're going to discuss today what a war cry was, where it comes from, different functions of a war cry, as well as the different types of origins for war cries. And what we're going to do with this episode is lay the foundation for future episodes where we talk about the stories of how certain clans obtained their war cries, because there's, in some cases, some really cool stories about how they originated or how, how they, where their war cry comes from. And so, and cool stories are part of the point of this podcast. So let's talk about war cries and where they come from. Well, the, there's a, there's a Gallic word called slogan. That's where our English word, now that's not how you say it in Gallic, but our English word of slogan comes from a Gallic word, meaning, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce this, and also there's going to be other Gallic words later in the episode, and I'm going to do my best, so if you are a Gallic speaker, please be patient with me. So the Gallic term that where we get our English word slogan is slogan or slogarm, and it means cry of the host. And so the slogan, usually in English, the way we've it's come to mean a a, a theme or a idea that a certain organization is wrapped around. But if you trace it all the way back to its origins, it was a war cry. And you can kind of see the connection, how like a, a, a brand of soap would get a slogan and how that might tie back into a war cry. You know, it's the, the campaign slogan. Anyway, that's where the word slogan comes from. And that's in, in a Gallic context. Um, that's the, the origin of the, and, and the root of that word where the Gales would have, that's the word they would use, that the Gallic form of it, for, their, for a war cry. Now, it's interesting that not every clan that had a Sluagarm was a Gallic clan. Now, a non-Gallic-speaking clan wouldn't have called it and used the Gallic word necessarily, but that didn't mean they didn't have a war cry that represented their kindred. And I'll maybe give you an example of that in a, in a couple minutes here. Now, one thing that we want to unravel so that we don't get confused with war cries is as a slogan or a war cry should not be confused with a motto. Now, a motto is part of heraldry. Now, slogans could have been incorporated into heraldry, but but here's the here's the main difference. A motto as part of heraldry, as part of a coat of arms, is strictly the possession of a chief. All right, coats of arms don't belong to the whole clan. Generally, they are only the property of a chief. It's almost like a brand. So it's almost like I started making athletic shoes and stamping a Nike swoosh on them, and I would be way out of bounds to do that legally. So a chief of a clan or a certain member of the aristocracy, a certain person in a position, had a coat of arms, and it's strictly that person's coat of arms. Now, his 
heirs could inherit it, but it didn't belong to the kindred as a whole. And some mottos, actually some coats of arms were registered very recently with the court of the Lord Lion, and they don't stretch back to the times where they would be been screamed at the top of the lungs of uh, clan members who were going up full tilt toward the enemy. They're, they're like I said, they're very some are very modern, relatively. So a slogan or a war cry, on the other hand, would have been used by the whole clan. Now, different war cries are of varying antiquity and some being developed. And when I think of later war cries that were developed, I'm thinking 1600s. Earlier war cries may stretch back to 1400s, just depending on the particular clan. And so if you do not know your clan's origin and how they obtained their war cry, I challenge you to dig into that a little bit. I'm just going to include a few examples here, but this is not meant to be, this episode will not be a a comprehensive list of the war cries of different clans. Now, I could have done it, but it would just been me sitting here reading a list. And you can actually go on Wikipedia and you can find lists. Now, in some sources online, um, for instance, on electricscotland.com, and and I believe I did see a little bit of this in on the Wikipedia page for a slogan. And there's you'll have to go to the specific site where it talks about war cries from different clans to get this, but they do. There's a Wikipedia page that has a list. Now, the, the thing to be careful with that and with the certain electricscotland.com page that I found was they don't distinguish between mottos and war cries or slogans. And so I would just throw that out there that they were different um, and not to confuse one for the other. So let's talk about the different origins that there's three there's three different origin types that I've pinned down in, in looking up the subject and studying on this. The first type of origin for a war cry is the gathering place of a certain clan. And three examples of this, the first one I'll have is from the Campbells. The Campbell war, war cry or slogan was now, in Campbell territory, there is a mountain called Ben Kruachan. And the war cry doesn't come from the mountain. The actual gathering place that this war cry comes from is just across the loch, I think it's Loch Ah, on the other side to the north of Ben Kruachan. There was a farm, and that farm was the gathering place, and that is where the Campbells take their war cry. Another gathering place that a clan took as the actual war cry were the Grants using Craig Elahi. Now, just to kind of explain a few terrain features that are being used here, so Ben, like as in Ben Kruachen, would mean is, is probably the most common word as you're looking on maps for a mountain, but there are different words that they can use for mountain. In the case of Craig Elahi, a Craig, Craig more literally translates as rock, but as certain mountaintops are very rocky, then you'd see the word Craig that could also mean a mountain in certain contexts. 
Now, here's another interesting example of a clan taking their war cry from their gathering place. And this is going back to when I said not every single kindred that had a war cry or a slogan was a Gallic-speaking clan. And in this case, I'm going to use the example of the Forbes, which I believe at one time in history was pronounced Forbus, as in two syllables. And they took their war cry from their gathering place, which was Lonach. Now, the Forbes or the Forbes clan lived in a place that at one time had been Gallic speaking. But as you progress later into, into history, as you get into the 14, maybe 1500s, the, so the, the Forbes kindred or clan were from the Aberdeenshire, the northeastern part of Scotland. And as I pointed out in a previous episode, Alison Cathcart in one of her, um, I can't quote to you the exact, because um, I'm going in a little bit more detail than I had planned here, but she mentions that in this particular part of Scotland, there was, up, in, up until fairly recent times, there was, wasn't a clear line drawn between, well, the Gales are over there and the lowland Scots speakers are over here. And this line is very solid. Now she points, and it's actually, and, and maybe I'll, if I remember later, I'll give you the exact article name, but it was in the footnote that I found this information that she uses examples of, of weaponry and armor and other customs that were very similar to what the Gales were doing in this part of Scotland. Anyway, so I don't know how far back you have to go to find the chiefs of the Forbes first language being Gallic, but as you go into the 1500s, where they have a lot of their conflict with the Gordons, you will probably see the Forbes chiefs using Scots rather than Gallic. Now, if any of you Forbes experts out there have information that can tighten that little little uh, part of this podcast or part of this episode, you can tighten that up a little bit, please, please feel free, but make sure you include a source on it, okay? Um, if the Forbes chiefs were actually using Gallic later than the, up into the 1500s or later. Um, I would point out that like the Gordons, their territory stretched into the highlands, probably into places that, yes, even 15, 1600s or maybe even later, Gallic was being spoken. But that's not the point of this episode, is to discuss the linguistic characteristics of the Forbes clan, just that there were lowland-centered clans who did have war cries that were nor that originated from their gathering place in the Forbes context or the Forbes example, it would have been Lonach. All right, so there's another type of origin for war cries that the clans use, and that was in memory of a certain person or an event. And the first example that I have to share with this is the McFarlane war cry of Loch Sloy. Loch Sloy, to go back to explaining geographical features, and this is pretty common knowledge, but just in case, Loch is the Gaelic word for lake, and Loch Sloy translates as lake of the host. Now, keep in mind, especially when we're using the term Sluagarm, the cry of the host, or Loch Sloy, the Loch of the host, we're not talking about a host 
who's having a party and he's the he's hosting it. The we're using the word host in the same way that the Old Testament would use the word host, as in Lord of Hosts, as in host meaning an army. And there the McFarlane origin story for that war cry of Loch Sloy is fascinating, and I'm actually going to use that as the subject matter for my next episode. So there you have it. The, the uh, next example that I'd like to use is that of the McGregor's Archchile, and that is actually referring to a person, McGregor of Arshkhila, and there's a story there too, which I also think would be a great subject for a future episode of how they came to use this person in their history as a as a as the origin of their war cry. And in that case though, that would be a later example as it would have come out of the early 1600s. The Mackay war cry was, once again, I'm going to do my best with the Gaelic here, Bratach Van Chlanai, which means the white banner of Mackay. Or to actually say that literally, the white banner of Clan I. Um, that actually goes back to a battle that they fought and where the chief, he was too old and infirm to lead his clan and his son took charge and and there's a story around that and I'm not going to go into it but it comes out of an event that happened that the clan Makai is remembering in that war cry and the last one is also an event so with the the example be from the clan McLean the McLeans of Duart and once again this actually comes out of the battle of Worcester and that which took place in England and it was in the 1600s so once again, a later originating war cry, and I'm going to try this one in Gaelic as well. Fer el another for Hector. Hector is often a way that we anglicize the Gaelic name Echen. And that could be a whole other topic that I'm not going to take the temptation to get sidetracked with, but that's that story is fascinating. If that story is true, because it is very sensational. It is it, that's one of the stories that can stir your blood. But I'm not going to go into it because maybe I'll just do a whole podcast on it later, or a whole episode, I should say. All right. So that those are two types of origins of war cries. You have the the uh, person or event that's being remembered and you have the gathering places. And the last one that I want to mention is in the in the example the main example I have for this are the Camerons and their war cry was actually a taunt. Now if you can include throw you know the Facebook group or in the down the comments here if you can include if you have other examples of a war cry being a taunt this one once again is in Gaelic because the Camerons were deep in the heart of traditional Gaelic speaking territory and there I'm gonna do my best with this but this one's a little harder than some of the other ones I've attempted it says in Gaelic Hlana non conhigiv a sosgiv shifuil or shifuil Hlana non con 
I'm sorry for those of you who are fluent Gaelic speakers. I did my very best on that, especially that second one. I thought I got closer. But what it translates as is sons of hounds come hither and get flesh. <laughs> you got to love that stuff. Anyway, there's the three different origin types of war cries that I found as I was researching this. Now, let me talk about different ways that a war cry or a slogan was used by different clans. The first one was a, that is the, probably the most straightforward one that I'd, I'd like to share with you. And that is, that's what the clan would scream at the top of their lungs when they're charging at the enemy into battle. Now, I did see an interesting in my research on that, there's the, the art of manliness. And it's interesting that the, the guy who runs that, his last name, I think his name is Brett, Brett McKay, would probably be, I think is how he pronounces it, because I've seen some YouTube videos with him. Um, and he's aware of his McKay or Mackay ancestry. And he did a whole article on the art of manliness where he talks about it. part of that article he mentions, and I'll maybe I'll reach out and I'll post that link to that article in in the comments for this episode but he talks he re refers or he references a study where they measured the in in feats of strength the physical output of people who screamed out while they were doing like lifting or whatever they were doing that was a feat of strength and there is something primal about screaming out when you're you know, some of you who work out and you've been in gyms and maybe you've ever even done this yourself when you're just going for that, that last little top part of the deadlift or just trying to come out of the depth of that squat and you just let go with a scream and boom, you just summon a little bit more strength. There's actually science behind that. That's not, um, that's just all, that's not, um, some kind of. Uh, buffoonery it's that there's actually by emitting that from a person there's actually a higher strength output and I think what that article reference was 11% more strength from people who screamed out and I don't know how that test went but I'll, I'll post the link and you guys can read it yourself but I thought it was pretty interesting so they would scream it as they're running into the battle and what more is, you know, it's just not some primeval sound digging down to some animal strength. But if you can, if that sound can actually be a word or a phrase that helps you remember something that incites you to valor, then all the more effective in a battle scenario. Um, another use for a war cry that the clans used was once the battle had begun and the messiness of combat sits in. They sometimes refer to it as the fog of war. And, you know, we like to think that they held this line and that line held the whole time and it's one side pushing on the other, but in hand-to-hand in -hand combat, that's not how it always went. And sometimes it could get mixed up. And here you are and you're swinging your sword and you just took out one of the enemy and now you're going for the next guy. Oh, but he shouts out your war cry, identifying him as one of yours and you guys can spare each other unnecessary bloodshed by using the war cry so that's an effective tool that you could use that for keep in mind that the 
during the, the period when the clans were, when the chiefs were actually summoning their clans as their own private kindred army, that, that during that time period, you couldn't look at a person's tartan they wore in their kilt and identify that person as, as part of one clan or another. That's a more modern concept. And we're going to actually have future episodes that dive more into that. Um, the, I might just throw in one interesting other little piece here, and that is the clan badge. Now, you might, if you didn't yell out the war cry, and you can't tell by looking at his tartan that he's wearing, you might be able to look at his bonnet, at, you know, in the into the time periods where people were starting to use bonnets. And I haven't researched those time periods yet, but one thing that my, if my, if I understand correctly, that a particular type of plant, and they call this a badge, and you'll see this whenever you look up a clan, and you're looking at the the identifying tokens or emblems of that clan. You know, here's their tartan, here's their war cry. Another thing that you frequently in most sources that are talking about giving information on specific clans will tell you their clan badge. And that was a plant that they would pin up in their bonnet or somewhere on them. And by looking at that, if it was a cranberry, you know, maybe that's a McFarlane. So there you have it. There's a, there's another, a way of identifying people in the midst of the chaos of battle. If you could, if you're screaming your war cry while you're engaging in other people and that was a way that somebody else, so you, you're going on the next guy, and he's like, oh, I heard him screaming my war cry. That's one of mine. All right, so the last one that I want to mention here, uses of, of the war cry, is to rally the troops. So in the highlands, it would be interesting to see if this practice spread to areas that would not be considered highland. But in the highlands, when a chief needed to gather his men, and he needed to do it fast. He'd send runners. And these runners would be holding pieces of wood in the shape of a cross. And they would, the, the cross would be burnt on the ends. Now, I don't know if they were ever actually on flame, but I have read that they would, be, they would have been burnt. In some cases, they might have a banner hanging on one end and the, and of the cross, on one arm of the cross and the other arm would be burnt. And this, these runners that would have what became known as the fiery cross would run through the different settlements within the clan territory and they would scream or holler out the war cry. And, and this goes, you know, as we go back to the war cries that came from gathering places, how effective would this be? You have a, a Campbell runner running through the different settlements of Argyle, hollering out, Kruachen, Kruachen. And so guess what you're going to do? If you're a fighting age male, you're going to go grab your weapons and you're going to get to that farm called Kruachen and you're going to link up and take further orders from there. All right, so those are the three uses that I came up with, not that I came up with, but that I was able to find on how war cries were used. It wasn't just used as something to scream as you ran into battle, although it definitely was that. It's not the only use. Now, the one last thing that I want to mention about war cries is that, as I mentioned at the beginning, but just want to express this thought one more time, one of the things that we've tried to do a lot in this podcast is take an academic look, not kind of strip away some of the romanticism, 
some of the tartanry and look at what what really was a clan? What did it look like? Who was a member of it? How did they operate? How did they function? How does that change in different regions of Scotland? For whom are these things true and for whom are they not true? And we've really tried to dig into this and find this out. And as I've pondered what are the criteria that actually makes a clan a clan, one of those things is things that identify the kindred as such. All right, so one of something else might be that a broader kindred than just the kids of a family acknowledging their dad as the head of the family. No, I'm talking about a much broader sense of a kindred identifying somebody within that kindred as the senior representative of that kindred, of that clan, who they would recognize as a chief who they would feel some obligation to obey as the senior member or the senior representative representing that senior line or uh, there's different succession methods and things. But anyway, they would look to him as a chief. A chief would I, and, and that's not to say that every single clan had a chief because there were some that stopped having chiefs fairly early on. I mean, that's another really interesting subject to go into, but it's a little bit outside of what I want to talk about now. A chief, though, is part of a clan, uh, a part of what it means to have a clan. And in my head, you know, you have these other these other emblems. One of those would be the war cry. If you have a group of people who identify with other people, either through real or perceived kinship, and they... They all, the war cry stirs them up, the same war cry, because that identifies you as a Campbell, as a Grant, as a McGregor, as a Mackay. Um, it's just one of the things for me that that helps me maybe throw out some some criteria, some things that that are an outward manifestation of a social organization that sees itself and operates as a Scottish clan, not just as a an aristocratic family, which there were those who did not operate as clans, but would have maybe seen themselves having more in common with an aristocratic English family. Um, so yes, yeah, so not anyway. We've we've covered that before, and I won't get too far into that now. But I, I see the war cry, something that's shared amongst a broader kindred as an identifying feature of clanship. So if you want to continue this discussion, please go to the, the Facebook group of Scottish clans that we have. We have, um, you can also go to podbean.com or to the app to leave comments for this. Go to the uh, Apple podcast, leave a, leave a, a review for me and include some written comments there. But also, um, as I get this YouTube channel up and going, please leave comments below. We can continue on the conversation and we can try to dig into the depths of, of this wonderful, colorful, exciting history that, that is the Scottish clans. And until next time, Marsh and Leib and Drasta.